Welcome to the Tribe of Testimonies. Here you will find conversations with faithful Native American members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, sharing their stories and their love of the Savior. My name's Andrea Hales. I'm Navajo, and I'm glad that you've decided to come and join us today. My guest this week is Christopher Kill. He came to my house, and it was awesome. And after we had our recorded interview, we sat and visited for another hour. That is one of my favorite things about having somebody come to my house is the time we get to visit afterwards. Because there are some things that as we're talking, I would love to talk more about it. And um, this happened with us. We talked about a lot of different things and I'm really grateful for that. He is just my good friend now. I'm so grateful for that. Um, I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that you find something that will uplift your day. So here, here is Chris. I am in my home tonight with Christopher Kill. Um, I'm so happy that you could come. And would you please introduce yourself in your tribal way as much as possible? If it's in your language, great. If it's not, that's fine. Not everybody speaks their language, and some languages are dead. Chimchukma. Um, hope I said that right. Uh, it's Chickasaw. That's the way we greet each other. Uh, Chukma means great, excellent. And so it's just a, uh, a formal greeting or informal However, you need it to be. Um, and that's Choctaw. So I'm from both the Chickasaw and Choctaw tribes on my father's side. And then if you ask my mom, she says, yeah, I'm, I'm native too. I'm from the Zucchini tribe. She's <laughs> pioneer Italian. Oh. oh, that. Okay. That's funny. So, um, unfortunately I, I don't speak either one of my tribal languages, but it's on my to-do list. Yeah. So. Well, you should you should do it then because you're a linguist, right? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That should have been one of my things that I did. <laughs> you know, I that's um, that's a regret that I have in growing up is that I didn't spend more time learning the languages. Um, my grandmother, my my father's mother, was full blood Choctaw, and and she spoke. Uh, both Choctaw and Chickasaw. And she tried to teach me when I was a kid. And I I was a kid. I didn't listen. I was a dumb kid. But uh, I, I wish that I had made time for that. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I wish I'd done. Yeah, I get that. Um, would you share something that you love about your heritage as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ? It can be pretty much anything, a story, a celebration, a way of life, a ceremony. What do you love about your heritage as it relates to the gospel? Well, growing up, my dad um, would talk to us kids about our tribes, not in great detail, but let us know that where we came from. And so one of the things that I did do was that I delved into our, our tribal legends a little bit, you know, not, not too terribly deep, but, um, I kind of wanted to see 
you know, what some of our stories were. And one of the stories um, that relates to both tribes is that at one time, the Chickasaws and Choctaws were one tribe. And they were governed by two brothers, uh, Chotta and Chicksa. And these two brothers um, led the tribe. And they were, they were told to move, or they had a, an impression uh, that they needed to move the tribe to another location. And what they did um, as they were going... Uh, one of them had a, a large staff and then they would lead the tribe and at the at night when they made camp um, they would jam that staff into the ground just because okay this is where we're at and they'd jam that that staff into the ground and in the morning they would wake up and that staff would be leaning in in a direction. And so they f followed the, that staff. Whatever direction it was standing in the morning or leaning to in the morning, that's the direction they took. Until And they kept traveling until one morning they woke up and that staff was straight. It no longer leaned in any direction. And that's where they decided to stay. And eventually, these two brothers grew apart. And uh, they each had a following, and so they separated. And Chata became uh, the Choctaws, and Chicksa became the Chickasaws. Those two tribes separated, but they remained close to one another. And so that's that's why they they were so close geographically in Tennessee, Alabama, and Mississippi. That those are our tribal homelands. Mm -hmm. And the languages are pretty similar. Yeah, they they are as far as I can tell. Um, haven't delved too deeply in that, but from the words and the the things that I had read, it seems to me that they're um, so similar. They're they're like the difference between Spanish and Italian, maybe. So there somebody could listen to it and understand it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Chickasaws and Choctaws can talk to each other and they'll understand one another with the exception of, you know, a couple of words, just like Italians and Spaniards can talk to each other and they'll get the general idea. So, but it's, I think they're all part of that uh, Muscogean language family. So you've got the, the Cherokee and the Seminoles and that, all of those, you know, southern tribes, they, I think they may share a, a, a similar language root, uh, but the Chickasaws and the Choctaws are more closely related than some of the others, I think. Yeah. Interesting. That's really cool. So how does that, how do you feel like that relates to the gospel? Well, maybe not to the gospel of Jesus Christ per se, but to the history of Israel. Um, you think about the staff, you know, they jam that into the ground and then wherever it was leaning in the morning, that's the direction they would go. You think about the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, 
a pillar of fire by day or a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. You know, they followed that, that staff, if you will. And that's a very close similarity. Uh, you think about the two brothers, Chata and Chiksa. Um, where have we heard of two brothers that, you know, had a falling out and separated and separated into two tribes? Well, you've got Laman and Nephi. And the Chickasaws were more warlike and hunters. And the Choctaws were agrarian and more, more peaceful. So, I mean, there, there's those similarities. Interesting. Hmm. That's very interesting. Uh, you live in Eagle Mountain right now. Where, where, did, where does your story originate? Where did you grow up? And what brought you to Utah? Oh, wow. That is a great question. Um, I was born in Athens, Greece. Um, my father worked with the government, the American government, and worked at the embassy there in Athens. And, and I was born there and lived there for two years. And then after that, we came home and we, we lived in Oklahoma. And so I lived in Oklahoma um, until I think uh, until I was in first grade. And at the end of my first grade year, um, my parents moved me and my brothers uh, from Oklahoma to Virginia. And so we lived in Fredericksburg, Virginia for uh, nine years, I think, and grew up there and then at the end of my junior year in high school, uh, we moved from Virginia back to Oklahoma. And what year? What? What? Where did you fall in the the order of the family? I'm the oldest. Okay. I'm the oldest of three boys. And um, kind of fast forward a little bit. Um, when my my parents separated, just before I went on my mission. And then sometime, I think about a year and a half later, my dad remarried. And, uh, and now I've got a little sister. And uh, she's 26 years younger than me. Holy moly. So she fits in age right between my, <laughs> my oldest two daughters. So that's, that's kind of fun. Because yeah. when my girls were growing up. They had somebody uh, to play with. <laughs> yeah. When, they, uh, when my sister would, you know come and visit you know they'd all play together and say what are you guys doing nothing nothing my aunt said we could do it she's younger than you <laughs> that's hilarious so, but that's you know i don't know i guess that's just kind of how kids in my family are we're just and that's the way me and my brothers were um my me and my brothers were pretty tight growing up you know just you know the typical sibling rivalries and arguments and fights but yeah anybody else tries to fight with us then you've got all three of us to deal with um but you know i i love them more than life itself but uh yeah we were we'd drive my mom crazy make her laugh 
drive my dad crazy and make him angry. (laughs) (laughs) But he loved us too. And uh, yeah, it was, it was good. So what brought you to Utah? Oh. Well, were you raised as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Yes and no. Um, when I was little, um, about the age of five, my parents joined the church. And since that time, I was raised in the church. And and that's an interesting story. Um, I don't know if my dad told you that story about how he was going to college and he stumbled across um, a, a movie. Fireside. Yeah, it was a fireside, a yeah. movie called Ancient America Speaks. Yeah. And if you look on YouTube, you can actually find that video. Um, if you get the chance, watch it. And so he watched that video and was intrigued. And um, he was driving with one of his friends one day and came across these missionaries and he stopped and talked to them and got a copy of the Book of Mormon uh, shortly thereafter and started investigating the church. And so he and my mom joined the church. And then about a year after that, uh, my grandmother joined the church, my, my father's mother. And so that's, that's how we were introduced to the church and how I grew up in the church, um, living out there in, in, uh, Virginia was, you know, spent most of the time living out there, but, uh, my parents joined the church in Oklahoma. So then, um, as I, as I grew up in the church, I probably your typical teenager and didn't give too much thought to religion and stuff until, uh, you, you come to a, a crisis, a spiritual crisis. Um, and you're looking for, for who you are, um, in the world. What is, what is your place in the world? What is your place in your family? What is your place, you know, in the, in the cosmos, so to speak. And I had one of those, one of those nights where I was just like, what am I doing? And that night my, my dad was sitting up waiting for me. I'd just come back from a date and, and, uh, I was having all these thoughts in my head and my dad said, what's going on? And I said, just kind of laid it out for him. Who am I and where am I going? What am I doing? And he was sitting there reading the Book of Mormon. And so he closed it and handed me the Book of Mormon and said, why don't you go find out? And I took the Book of Mormon, and I thanked my dad, and I went into my room, and I sat on the edge of my bed, and I, I started reading the Book of Mormon. Now, I'd, I'd read the Book of Mormon before, you know, going to seminary, and, you know, because I was a teenager, you know, 
seminaries at five in the morning, you know, bleary eyed, thinking about school, thinking about other things. Um, at that particular time, those things were just kind of seemingly bouncing off of me, but some things were getting in. Um, so as I was reading the Book of Mormon that night, some of those things sank in a little bit more. And I had a really, a really interesting experience. As I sat there reading, it was as if someone was sitting there on the bed next to me, speaking to me telling me the story instead of me reading it. And that's that's probably the I don't know, the catalyst, the, the, the beginning of my adventure, my journey in finding out who I am, where I'm from, and where I'm going. And that experience and what it meant to me is something that I will always treasure. And that experience put me on that path um, to discover the gospel of Jesus Christ like, like my dad did. And, and I haven't looked back. And it's been... It's been great, and that learning more about the gospel of Jesus Christ and learning and knowing that he is my Savior has made all the difference. And it's been, it's been good. It's been really good. You know, not to say that I'm perfect, because I'm not. You can ask any one of my kids. You can ask my wife. <laughs> I'm not perfect, and I don't claim to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah cool what made you decide to serve a mission because i know you served a mission mhm mm yep i think it was that that desire to share with others um what i felt and why i felt that way not necessarily that particular experience. That wasn't what I was going to share. Um, but I wanted to share with people the gospel of Jesus Christ and share with them what it meant to me and teach them what kind of difference it could make in their lives. And that's why I went. And yeah, I loved it. Served out here in, in Utah, in the Utah Ogden Mission. And it was a really good experience. Yeah. But did you, were you excited about coming to Utah? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was not. Um, it was funny. I was talking with one of my best friends. And, um, you know, I just put my papers in. I said, man, I am so excited about going on my mission. 
I'll go anywhere in the world the Lord wants to send me. I'll learn any language he wants me to learn. But you can't chain me to a Mack truck and drive me to Utah. Yeah. And that's where I went. I went to Ogden, Utah. And it was great. It's just what I needed. Yeah. So, yeah. Heavenly Father, I, I know he's got a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Definitely agree. So after your mission, what? What happened? Where'd your life go then? Uh, after my mission, I went home for a little bit, and uh, I came back out here. Um, because in that conversation that I was having with my friend before my mission, and stating to the universe that I would never go to Utah, in the same breath that I said that with, I said, and I'll never marry a girl from Utah. So after my mission, went home, and then came back for a girl from Utah. <laughs> so yes. So I got married and uh, started my family. And it's been great. So is she from the the Ogden mission? She's in that area? Mm -hmm. okay. Yep. Does her family still live up there? No, they live down here now in this area. Uh, but that's that's kind of an interesting story too. Um, so how I how I met my wife was um, it started with me speaking in a ward there in um, in West Point, Utah. And after speaking, uh, one of the members of the ward comes up and says something about his his mother in law that that she's not a member of the church. And that uh, he would like me and my companion to, to come and teach her the, the discussions. And uh, he said, now, you're from Oklahoma. So am I. So that was our, our little bonding thing. Um, and so met with uh, his, his mother-in-law and started teaching her the discussions. And uh, so this guy's daughter... Um, was the girl that I wound up marrying later. And so that's that's how I met her, was by teaching her grandmother the discussions. Oh, that's nice. Where did your career go, and how did you end up in Eagle Mountain? Oh, well, I started off, um, well, after we got married, uh, we started off in... Oh, where were we? I think we were in Layton. And I was working in the Ogden City Mall um, at a women's shoe store selling shoes. And it was a dead-end job. <laughs> and so my wife, Burgundy, she uh, brings me this newspaper clipping that says, Linguists Wanted Will Train. And... Uh, I was like, wow, that's amazing. But it didn't say who it was. It just had a phone number. Linguist wanted will train. Now, kind of to go back a little bit, um, my desire to to learn a language was great. You know, I'd said that, you know, before my mission, I said, I'll go anywhere the, in the world the Lord wants to send me and I'll learn any language he wants me to learn. Um, I really wanted to learn Russian as a kid. Growing up in the 80s, you know, Russia was the big bad bear, and G.I. Joe and James Bond were my heroes, along with my dad. And um, 
I really wanted to learn Russian. And so when I saw this newspaper clipping, I was like, wow, maybe this is my shot, you know? And so I called the number and it was the Utah Army National Guard. I said, oh, I said, this newspaper ad says you guys need linguists. Yes, we do. You guys teach Russian? Yes, we do. Great, let's talk. So I joined the, the Utah Army National Guard and uh, they sent me to Monterey, California and I learned Russian. And that I've had different jobs, you know, from that time, from the time that I joined the National Guard and I left that dead-end job selling women's shoes. Had def a bunch of different jobs in my civilian career, but being in the Guard has always been a constant for me. Uh, I wound up serving 26 years in the National Guard and retiring from it. And learning languages was what I did. Um, after one of my deployments, I had the opportunity to go back to Monterey and, and learn Arabic. And that was, that was fantastic. Did you spend time in Russia at all? No, I've been to a lot of different places in my guard career, but never Russia. Yeah. I got close. I got to, I got to Ukraine. Okay. <laughs> That's close. Yeah. Yeah. And I end Afghanistan. So those are the <laughs> two closest places I can think of to to Russia. Yeah. What kind of things did you learn in the National Guard that you have, or what experiences that, you know, Heavenly Father wanted you there? Like, were there anything, any times that you were like, you could look back and be like, Oh, Heavenly Father was definitely in that in that situation or anything like that. Y yes, yes, from the from the very beginning. Um, I think the beginning of Heavenly Father's, um, I guess, the biggest move on the chessboard for me, in from Heavenly Father's perspective, maybe was um, getting me to go on a mission. Growing up. I was introverted, still am to this day, um, but that experience going on a mission, having to come out of my shell, having to knock on people's doors that I didn't know and talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and just talk to people on the street and talk to all different kinds of people. Um, that was the beginning of what Heavenly Father was w wanting me to do, I think. So when I joined the National Guard, being a linguist, um, having to learn Russian, that was part of being um, in the intelligence arena. And with that, um, that job that I was in, being a human intelligence collector required me to come out of my shell even more, um, even more than being a missionary, I think in some cases, but I was able to rely on my experience as a missionary to help me do the work that I needed to do with the guard. 
and learning a language was part of that. And with the places that I've gone with the guard and the people that I've met, I've had the opportunity to share the gospel um, in the most unlikely of places. Um, being able to have uh, church services when I was deployed to Bosnia with, with my little team that I was with. Um, and invite people who weren't members of the church that were also in the military to those services and talk with them and help them and um, give them blessings. When I went to Morocco on a, on a language learning excursion with the guard, um, I was able to talk with one of my fellow students that came over with me from the guard. Um, she had questions about the church and I was able to talk with her about the church as well in Morocco of all places. <laughs> um, yeah. And just, just different things. And, and the Lord had given me, um, opportunities to do that and protected me as I did those things. Um, being in Bosnia, um, 10 years after their civil war, it was still kind of a dangerous place. Um, at that time in 2002, 2003, um, there were still over 6 million landmines that had not been recovered. So one of the guidance, you know, from the, from our commanders was don't ever go traipsing through the woods because <laughs> there's over 6 million landmines still left unaccounted for and nobody knew where they'd been laid. Um, and my job there took me to places where that was a very real danger. And I was, I was protected. Uh, when I went to Afghanistan, uh, doing my job, that was dangerous. You know, every time, whenever you left the, the forward operating base or FOB, it was called leaving the wire. And every time we left the wire, we, we were in danger. Um, my very first day in Afghanistan, um, we were, our, our convoy was hit by an IED, an improvised explosive device. And fortunately, it wasn't our vehicle, um, but it was two vehicles in front of me. And fortunately, everybody in that vehicle survived. And so there's, you know, just, I can never say that, that the Lord is not aware of, of me. And I'm nobody. I'm just a, just a regular guy. And if he's looking out for me, he's got to be looking out for everybody else too. And 
I think I think we all need to take some time and not just count our blessings, but actually look for the Savior's hand in our lives. And sometimes that takes some doing because we're busy with this, that, and the other. And we don't often make time to do that. Sometimes we don't make time to, to read our scriptures. Sometimes we don't make time to go to church. But we need to make time for those things. We need to make time for the Savior and let him teach us and let him let him love us i totally agree that's something that i i really want with this podcast is that people know that heavenly father is aware of each individual as a person so thank you for saying those things yeah yeah, um, I was having a discussion with my oldest daughter a couple of nights ago, and we were talking, and I hadn't before put into words um, one of the things that I was, a lesson that I had been learning my whole life until that night that I was talking with her. And it's that the gospel of Jesus Christ um, is an example of how we should live our lives. I mean, that's everybody knows that he's our exemplar, that we're supposed to follow him and try to emulate him as much as possible. Um, but I kind of broke it down in this discussion with her that you think about the relationships that we have. And I figured, and I figured that there are three types of relationships that each of us has. We have a relationship with other people. We have a relationship with ourself and we have a relationship with deity. And the relationship that we have with deity is our example. Um, the way Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ interact with us and teach us and love us and forgive us and guide us is the example. And that should govern how we interact with others and how we interact with ourselves. So just like if we are keeping the gospel of Jesus Christ, if if we're loving and forgiving like they are, we should treat others that way and we should treat ourselves that way. Mm -hmm. That's true. In fact, that's, that's just a different way of saying the same things uh, President Nelson has been talking about the last couple years about our divine identities and about being a peacemaker and about um, forgiveness and love. So it's interesting. Yeah, because Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ treat us 
like their children because we are. Everyone is. And that's the way we need to treat others. We need to see them first as a child of God. And that can be hard to do. It, it's not always easy. And it's, it's, it's easier sometimes with family. Sometimes it's easier with strangers. And sometimes it's harder with both of those. You know, it, it just depends. But I think that is, that is a key is looking at others and treating each other like they're a child of God. That's so true. So true. You re- said that you retired from the National Guard. Mm-hmm. Like, retire, retire, or did you... Because you're not old. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm not... <laughs> So what, what did, what have you, what, what's the follow-up to the National Guard? Well, when I was getting ready to retire, I had terminal leave. That's all the leave that I had never used, um, but I had to use it before I retired. So I had about two months of that before I retired, and I was at home. I was just chilling, and my wife looked at me, and she says, when you retire, you have got to get a job. <laughs> you are underfoot. And I said, okay. So that's what I did. Um, my wife and I looked for a job for me. And uh, fortunately, I was able to, to work for um, Department of Corrections with the Youth, um, youth Detention Center. And that was, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed that. You also mentioned to me before we started that now you are just home with your children, mm-hmm. with, with some of your children. Yes. And um, tell, tell us about your family because you mentioned that it, it's different than some families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, my wife and I, we have seven kids. Um, I say we have seven kids. We have three biological daughters uh, that are my oldest kids. Uh, we have one former foster daughter that uh, that I consider a daughter, and we have three boys. And uh, my boys are all adopted. We just didn't have boys, so I got three girls. And growing up, I knew. From when I was very young, I knew that I was going to have three daughters. It's just a feeling I had ever since I was a kid. Um, and my wife, when she was growing up, she always had a feeling that that she was going to have three boys. And so after we had our three daughters, um, I had to figure out the three boys. And so that's what we did. We we adopted, and uh, we have we have um, a typical boy. And then we have two sons that, that have Down syndrome and other developmental delays. And uh, just love them to pieces. 
and love all my kids. And it's, yeah, it's just really good. We just love our kids. We're having a great time with them and raising them and, and that. And uh, that's one of the things that uh, I decided when I was working at the youth detention centers that um, I'd worked for there about seven months. And I loved that job. Um, I felt like I made a difference there, just like I felt like I made a difference being in the National Guard. Um, but there came a time when I had a feeling that that my work there was done and I needed to be home. And that's what I did. I um, I quit that job and, and I came home and became a full-time dad once again. And um, my wife likes me being home now. Yeah. And I, I love being home. I get to put the boys on the bus in the morning and get them off the bus in the afternoon and take care of them and take care of things at the house and spend time with my wife. And it's great. Yeah. What, what are some of the things that you've learned from as a, a father from any of your children? I think probably the, the, the general thing is to just enjoy life. To have, have fun, because there's fun to be had. Um, be serious about the serious things. Um, but there's no reason you can't have a little fun there too, you know. And patience. Patience. Uh, persistence. And how to have joy. Um, patience because when you're dealing with kids, they're little, they're not, they're not even little adults. It's just not who they are. They're, they're kids, they're kids and they're learning. And that's what you do as a parent. You, you, you protect the little humans. You, you, <laughs> you know, they have to grow up, right? So you watch over them, you protect them, you teach them. And there are instances where they teach you. And uh, patience. You know, you, some people have it, some people don't. It's not a virtue exclusively enjoyed by the Chinese. But <laughs> you, can, you can learn it. Yeah. You can learn it. And uh, having kids, that's definitely a trial of patience. Um, persistence. Um, my, my youngest boy, he teaches me persistence. I think he may be the, the epitome of persistence. That's when we got him. Um, he was six months old and... We had learned that he had, when he was born, uh, he had a, a grade four brain bleed, which is um, something that, that generally newborns die from. Yeah. And he didn't. And so uh, that caused him to be hemiplegic. So he's, his 
left side doesn't work like it should. Um, he can use it. But when he was little and he was that six-month-old baby, uh, the doctors that that we had taken him to uh, told us that, you know, he's hemiplegic. He's, um, he's not, he's not going to crawl. Don't even think about him walking. And that's what they told us. They didn't tell him that. <laughs> so, um, about the age of five or six, um, he started crawling. I may have the, the ages wrong. My wife could tell you the ages just perfectly. Um, and then a couple of years after that, he started walking. And so he's, he's persistent. And also when he was young, um, he had a floppy airway, which means that whenever we fed him a bottle, uh, he would aspirate or breathe in that liquid. And so he was constantly in a state of pneumonia. And at first we didn't know why until we found out that that was the cause. He had a floppy airway and he was aspirating his feeds. And there were a couple of times that, that he died. But he came back. Each time. It's like a total of three times. In different, like, months apart. But because of that, that issue... He's persistent. He's here for a reason. And he's an inspiration to, to not only our family, but to the families in our ward. And he's happy. He's the happiest little guy. And my other boy, uh, who has Down syndrome... He teaches me joy. He loves to serve. That is, that is his, his program. He loves to serve. Um, he's not very verbal. He is, he approximates speech. If you listen close, you can understand him. Um, but he loves having friends he loves people, and he likes to help. Uh, if we're not careful, he'll he'll do our laundry, you know, <laughs> when we're not looking. Or, you know, he'll, you know, he sees you're doing something. He'll get right next to you and start helping you do whatever you're, it is you're doing. Um, and recently, um, well, I should not say recently, but. That's on Sundays, uh, when he's young, he would always watch the boys passing sacrament and he would just watch them and you could tell, you could see it in his eyes. That that's what he wanted to do. And so when we felt like he was ready, um, he was ordained to the priesthood and he gets to pass the sacrament. And if you had n had no idea what joy 
looks like. If you watch him pass the sacrament, you will see joy. And I've learned that that joy is the physical state you are in when your body cannot contain the amount of happiness that you are experiencing. And that is, that is my boy. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why we have kids is so that uh, the lessons that we didn't learn as kids, uh, we have an opportunity to learn them or to reinforce the lessons that we learned as kids. And I think it's also uh, gives us an opportunity to to love like our Father in Heaven does. Well, I love I love when my guests talk about things and put into words ideas that I have or put into different words so that I can see things from a new perspective. And you've done that with with things for me tonight, like with joy and with relationships and with um, the way you talked about also Heavenly Father personally knowing you. So those are amazing things. I have one final question for you. What does it mean to you to know that you belong to the tribe of Israel? That's an excellent question. It means that I've got a job to do. That that my Father in Heaven needs me where I am. And that I need to be willing to go where He needs me to go. So I can do the things that He needs me to do. I think that's that's one of the important things about being in the tribe of Israel. Whether you're born into it or whether you're adopted. Becoming part of that family helps you see the larger picture and know that you are part of a global family, an eternal family. And um, that's one of the things that we need to do here is we need to get everybody home. That's why we do missionary work. And I think that's what we talked about earlier about the way we view people. I think it's going to make that job much easier in some respects. And it's going to be a source of joy as we do that, whether we're working with the living or the dead. 
thank you. I appreciate all these things, and it's been so nice to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed this time. I've been sitting here thinking what to talk about today. And thinking, well, my first thought that came to my mind was to to respond to a uh, a Facebook comment on the podcast meme that um, Rachel Krause shared for us. Uh, she made it for Sky Young this past week. It says, we think of justice as eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. True justice is going to heal all parties involved. And when I posted that, I just loved it. And that that's a quote from Sky. Well, I posted it on this group called Happy Latter-day Saints. I think that's what it's called. And somebody said, I think you're confusing that with mercy. And when I got that comment, I was like... No, actually, it's not because, yes, mercy is definitely involved, but justice is met too. And justice is, um, when it comes to the Savior, it is perfect and it will heal us because justice is working with mercy, not because they're exclusive from each other. But because the Savior, his, his perfect atonement for us is what makes it true. I'm really grateful that Sky said that last week because it's true. We are so blessed to have a Savior who knows us infinitely better than we know ourselves. Who knows us so perfectly and knows all the details of all everybody else's lives so that justice and mercy can work together and bring us to perfection. So I hope that, I hope that is a good thought for you today and hope you have a super wonderful, awesome day. Tribe of Testimonies is not sponsored by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music is a traditional hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, arranged and performed by Kyle Forsyth. I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear how this podcast is affecting you. And I'm always looking for guests. If you or someone you know would be a great guest, you can reach me at tribeoftestimonies at gmail.com.